We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we are looking at the Space 1999 episode, Journey to Where? No, actually it would be Journey to Where, because it's not a question. Journey to Where? Journey. Alpha receives a neutrino transmission from Earth in the year 2120. Trust us, and we can bring you home to Earth. It's a lovely place. The pollution has destroyed all life outside our dome cities, but be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. There's just uh, one catch. In a couple of days, a galactic eclipse will block the Earth from the moon for over a hundred years. It is unclear if that is a hundred years on Earth or a hundred years on Alpha. After being initially skeptical, Koenig is convinced they're for real because of their knowledge of baseball trivia. So work on the transportation device begins. Koenig wastes time with a test package, which luckily goes flawlessly. Next, three humans get to return to Earth forever. Who will it be? Who will it be? I know, says John Koenig. I'll bail first because... It'll be too dangerous for the rest of you to go back to Earth. And I'll take my girlfriend, Helena, because, uh, uh, because we might need a doctor on hand when we arrive at the highly advanced scientific labs on Earth in our future. And let's take Alan, too. He's, he's always good for a lot of bravery and not too much common sense. Bye, Alpha. If all goes well, we'll literally never see this place again. Unfortunately, the one place on Earth where they can't predict earthquakes just happens to be the same place that they built the highly sensitive teleporter system. And and wouldn't you know it, <laughs> an earthquake happens just as our intrepid heroes are leaving. They arrive somewhere. They've they've journeyed somewhere. You might even ask, is a journey to where? I'll tell you where. Scotland, 1339. Actually, it might be 1340. Possibly somewhere near, but probably not really exactly on December 31st. Meanwhile, Maya helps the stupid Earth people figure out what went wrong and where they are, or or more appropriately, when. On Earth, Helena succumbs to a cold and creeping pneumonia. Damn good thing they brought a doctor along to get sick. Our heroes are captured by Scotsmen and set to burn, because they have the plague, obviously. They get a message with the time and date of their location back to Alpha using the wristwatches that somehow transmit information through both time and space. And they reverse the polarity of the neutron flow, and everyone is back to Alpha and happy, as the galactic eclipse blocks Alpha from Earth for a century. Or or maybe only about 300 days. Uh, life returns to normal. Life returning to normal means Tony's beer is still so awful, an Australian won't drink it. Okay, journey to where? Journey to where? What did you think of journey to where? More like journey to why. <laughs> you know, oddly enough, I kind of like this episode. I'm not saying there it's good. Is, there is... There's only one 
redeeming thing. Mm. And that is, it has Freddie Jones in it. It has Freddie Jones in it. I don't know who Freddie Jones is. He was the scientist on Earth, or the, you know, the, the guy on Earth who was coordinating their return. And he's been in a number of, um, number of films. Um, I think probably one of his popular uh, roles uh, in his later years was that of Thufur Howard in the David Lynch production of Dune. I mean, I've seen him before. Um, I have seen him before. I didn't know the name. But, uh, you know, I've seen him in character character bits. I, I, I'm going to say I'm, I'm not exactly sure I understand his character. Um, he seems to be the guy they imbued with a bit of personality just to make him stand out from everybody else. And by doing so, he feels like he's surrounded by ciphers. And I don't know what to make of the world of Earth in the 21st, 21st, 22nd century? 22nd Uh, uh, century. century. It's not a very nice looking place. No, no. Think of all the beautiful planets Alpha has passed up because they're not quite right. But Earth, Earth is home. You know, and what bug, and something else that kind of bugs me about this is after the Alphans learn about how awful. Earth the is a situation is oh they couldn't wait to get back it's like oh woohoo you know the uh they were just like toasting it and you're so happy at the the possibility of being able to get back and it's like very very weird that they should um i, I don't know it, it just felt very out of the ordinary i agree i i don't i think this is that to me is probably the worst part of this episode you know it's, it's just like a who needs nature yeah, somebody says really? that. Literally, somebody says that's, that. That's the line. Who needs nature? Who needs nature? It's like, um, I think the whole point is, is that when you find a planet, you find like one little thing that's going to be potentially adverse or might make it. And on Earth, there is no life left except humans and dome cities, which is basically what you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. You're humans in domed cities. And uh, yeah. Uh, and and it's a it's a hunt twenty one twenty, everyone they know is dead, so it's not like they're going back to join their loved ones or their family or anything like that. It is a different planet that they don't recognize, and you know obviously they have baseball trivia, so there is an unbroken continuity to uh, the real world. But apart from that, that part, it's like no thank you. And and the other thing that gets me is at the end Tony pops up with this oh I've I've been really insensitive folks um, if anybody else wants to try to go you know you can go and now suddenly everybody's like yeah no I don't think so Mm-mm. no 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 and yet the reason that Koenig and Russell and Carter got lost is because an earthquake happened at precisely the moment of transportation Mm-hmm. It should be safe, right? But what would happen to Alpha if a third of the people left? Um, yeah, right. Hmm. So, and we've had that dilemma before. It's like we either all go or we all or stay. We, or we all stay exactly. But dear old Tony, 
doesn't think about that. He could send, you know, 25 people might leave or 50 people might leave. And for the people who left, they all die because of that. But I guess that's why you don't send your freaking commander first. Wouldn't he be the... Using a ship metaphor, wouldn't he be the one who would bail last? Yes, you would think. And you never know when you're going to need a doctor. No, actually, this would be the one time we are not going to need a doctor. Right. You wouldn't even know what to do when we got to the other end. And not to mention that, if we got to the other end and we were ill, he'd be the one who needed a doctor. Yeah, and besides, who wants to bring that doctor? Give me Matthias. Yes. Yes. Um... And Alan, yeah, right, whatever. <laughs> it's like, I, you know, any crewman then. But mm, yeah. I, I suppose. He's not really in the direct chain of command, so they won't need any Eagle pilots for this. Not for this little shindig that they're going on. And if it works, they won't need any Eagle pilots anyway, so they're superfluous person, person just first. It's not like, you know, maybe the people running life support should be the last off the base, or, I, I, I don't know, I, I, again, this is, this is this fundamental flaw now with them having to have the main characters be the protagonists, and, and, I, and I realize that that sentence is kind of weird, but they don't make sense in these situations for those to be the people to go. Mm-hmm. I could see Tony going. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's, I mean, if, if you want to use a, the a current day Star Trek metaphor, he's number one. I guess he's number one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd want to have, have him go and have Koenig stay by and, you know, mind the shop. And you'd want to have, you know, a couple of people, not your main... Not necessarily your main cast. Because mm-hmm. presumably they're not coming back. Koenig isn't going to go over there and go, yep, it works, I'm going to beam back. It's like, no. No, I'm staying. Just keep putting people on board, Tony, until you're all off the base. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he truly did bail first. And I, and I, I genuinely dislike that. And I know that, I know that one of the things about Star Trek, or, or even let's go Star Trek The Next Generation... It was a big deal that number one would be the guy doing the away missions because it doesn't make any sense to send the captain. And we know that by the end of the series, the captain was beaming down right and left because he's True. the hero of the show. Right. He's, he's the big damn hero. And but at least Star Trek had the decency to try and rationalize it in some way so that it fit the story narrative and you didn't, you, you didn't walk away you know, from, the, from the episode scratching your head thinking, well, that was a bad idea. Well, here's the other thing. And I think, because I, I, I gave this quite a lot of thought before I brought this up. I was thinking about it yesterday. Um, if Picard went down to a planet, or Kirk went down to a planet, and I'm using Picard because of they at least pay lip service to it, whereas in Star Trek, which is more contemporary with Space 1999, never even bothered with that. No. It's like, Kirk, let's go. I'm the captain, I lead the team. Um, I always felt like if Picard got killed, they'd function. The chain of command is robust enough on a Starfleet ship. Yeah. That, you know, number one, Data, Worf, 
There's a good line of succession there. And they've all been trained. They've all been to the academy. They've all been, you know, trained for command. And they could at least take action to get the ship. And it's not like the ship's usually going to be destroyed in one of those situations. Um, sometimes. But but not like Moonbase Alpha, where if Koenig goes, and I admit he's a terrible, terrible commander. In in series two, I mean, he's just appallingly bad at everything he does. But I kind of feel like the place would still fall apart because nobody else is there to run. Not even Tony, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after Tony, absolutely nothing. So it it just it feels worse in Space 1999 that they always send Koenig and or Koenig always sends Koenig. Well, and, and unfortunately, when I see that now. It takes me out of the episode because I find myself saying, well, that's Martin Landau demanding more screen time because he's Martin Landau. He's Martin Landau. That's my that's my contract. I want my I need my lines. I got to have my number of lines. You know, and there I'm I'm out of the story. Mhm. Mhm. And I mean, like was last week's episode all that glisters? What value oh, God, what yeah. value did he serve on that? expedition geologic expedition he didn't you know this one i can sort of uh, i can sort of kind of rationalize are you really trying to rationalize this one well only in the fact that this is potentially highly deadly and i can't order anyone else to do this but i'd be willing to bet that there would be a ton of volunteers to do it right he never asked that until no. after he himself signs up. It's like, yeah. well, I'm going. Anybody else? <sighs> right? And Dr. Russell, who shouldn't, volunteers. He's like, absolutely. You're coming along with me, toots. And then, you know, Alan and Tony. It would have been terrible if he'd taken Tony. Sure. Let's take one and two. That I'm surprised he didn't, he didn't do. Except that I think people like Alan better. Well, he's been around a bit more popular, and he, actually, he's a he's a heck of a lot more likable now that we don't have the angry Australian anymore. Oh yeah, yeah, he's he's much improved, and you know, and he can and he can do some comedy, and although, mm. <laughs> but mm. yeah, he he's he's got a different kind of Australian personality, right? Whereas before, he was just a hothead, and that. I don't think was meant to reflect his Australianness, but now he's kind of got that. You know, British are stuffy. Um, Americans are not exactly stuffy, but a little bit overbearing, and uh, and Australians have that sort of the mateship, the Australian mateship, in the you know the big friendly Australians and and. Uh, mm-hmm. Not serious, right? Uh, about things, which you know is is a stereotype like anything else. But I think that was more of the opinion of the audiences at that time. There was a there was a sort of they live on the beach, they're all happy go lucky. There, and that's what Alan is now. He's he's right. kind of adopted that um, more of a stereotype, which is which, fine. Which- it's, and yeah, I was going to say that's actually fine for me because I found that his his tantrums were very – they felt very forced. 
and I couldn't, and they did not make any sense. I can actually sort of buy, you know, the Allen we've got now. I, I can kind of take that, or I, I could, at least I can accept this kind of behavior. Stereotype, yeah, but it's it's easier to to accept than Allen, who is always flying off at the handle, particularly at the commander's every decision. Oh yeah, I know. You've made the wrong decision, Commander. <laughs> so I'm gonna hit you. Yeah. Yeah. Alright. Well as as always, I have a series of and, and I and like I say, I said earlier, I've enjoyed this episode in the past because I just sort of like the fact that they're I like time travel and it's an interesting choice. Um you know, okay, uh, Scotland and who would pick that? You know, if you're writing a story, who would pick that? <laughs> uh, mm. But, but you know, it's it's pretty. It's green. They're outdoors. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of fighting and stuff. I mean, from the dull passing a story along kind of way, I just kind of like that part, and I like the idea of them trying to set up this teleportation device. But the story does not really pull it off. Um, oh, uh, well, and again, the. Th- yeah, I've been forced to suspend a lot of disbelief with some of the quote-unquote science of this show, but this one went way beyond the pale. Mm. I loved, just loved, how they could monitor everybody's life readings in... Real time. Real time. Across time. In, across time in ancient Scotland. Uh-huh. That was fascinating. Yeah. All right. Um, I've got I've got a series of, of bullet points in no logical order, but as it happens, we might as well start with that one, uh, which is probably tied into the neutrino transmissions. This is apparently a thing that Alphans knew about. They were just beginning to experiment with this idea when they left Earth. Now, one hundred and twenty-one years later, Earth can broadcast neutrino transmissions. How does Alpha receive neutrino transmissions if neutrino transmission communications did not exist when they left? Mm. And how, even if you could receive it, how could they broadcast back to hold on a conversation with the humans on Earth? And I'm guessing that somehow the watches are using neutrino transmission? Oh, I guess... But, but wow, who knew they could travel through wormholes or time holes or whatever you want to call it? Yeah, it, it, it's it's <clears throat> it's just you know it, it's it's not quite the stupid science stick here. It's the eh, who cares careless science stick. Eh, whatever. <laughs> but they'll just buy it. I mean, if we can transmit it, they can receive. You know, they're just they're just throwing us off there. They're, they're not even bothering to try anything clever. They're just like eh, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. So that that one has always bugged me, and you know why not why not equip them with a voice communicator? I get all right. I guess that makes sense. If you're transmitting directly to Earth and you arrive at Earth, there's no point in sending you with a wrist communicator. Um, but then also presumably that means that the monitor. See, <laughs> yes, that doesn't, that doesn't make much sense either, because the monitor tells you what's happening inside the transit capsule on the moon base 
And then once they're at the other side, it tells the Alphans, or it should tell the Alphans, what their bodily readings are when they're at the other side. But couldn't the people at Space Station Houston, or whatever the heck it was called, just check them? They're here. Want to talk to them? Hi, this is John Koenig. I'm there. Great. Send some more people. Life's good. It, because it seems to be an instantaneous transfer. It certainly seems that way, doesn't it? Once they popped out, then the thing popped in at the other location. The mm-hmm. test package. Um, so, I, I, I don't know. I, if it's only for the purposes of using it when they're in the capsule. Like, oh my god, Helena just died before we flipped the switch. Oh, better turn it back. Oh, too late. Never mind. Um, hmm. I, I don't know. Yeah, all, all of that. All of that in retrospect. Yeah, obviously it's necessary for the plot, but but if you try to oh, look at it, well, but it, that it, makes for a bad plot. I agree. I agree. I mean, I mean, but those parts needed to be there for them to do the story the way that the writer was thinking of the story. But what that yeah. tells us is that the writer never thought through what would have happened if it went right. Right? I mean, yes, that would be a boring story, but you know, they would beam through and that would be the end of it and it would be over. And so what would you take? Would you take a laser? Would you take your comm link? Would you take a communication device? Would you take a box of office supplies? You know, you wouldn't do any of that. But if you knew that they were going to, you know, teleport and end up on a desert planet, maybe you'd give them some water to drink on the trip. Oh, good thing Mm. we brought some water with us. (laughs) It just doesn't, you know, it just doesn't, it 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 really is a bad it really is a bad way to think through the story. You really right. need a plausible explanation as to why they even needed those monitoring watches in the first place, and we don't have them. And then, of course, the fact that they couldn't possibly work. Uh, you know, even a line that said that they were developed with the neutrino technology because we've mm-hmm. never seen anything like it on Alpha before. But even if there had been a line that said, "And we've made the we've." giving you the instructions for creating these monitoring devices that will allow you to monitor them as they transmit through the neutrino transmission, which I think, well, no, I, I mean, yes, I guess they're not transmitting through time because even though alpha is in the year 2002 or whatever it is, and I don't think there's any date given on this one. So we don't know when it is. And earth is on 2120. Is there a difference in time as you travel through the points, or is it commensurately twenty one twenty? I know this is a, I know this is a relativity thing. <laughs> you know, you're traveling at different rates. You're traveling through time differently. You're at two different points. Your space time is different at two different points in time. Mm-hmm. So, does that mean that twenty one twenty and two thousand and two exist? Co-parallelish. Hmm. Oh, I wish we had a physicist here uh, on this one. I suppose Wait, you see what it I mean. Is, so yeah, I, I I'm gonna go. I, I'll actually take a stab at that, and you know, I, I don't have any hard science to to back that up. But I would be go. I would go so far as to say, yeah, that is possible. Where I'm getting hung up on is the MacGuffin in this. There is a constellation. Oh God. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, go ahead. There is a constellation that is moving between you and us. <laughs> it is causing an eclipse. And I'm like, wow. 
It's a very one of big, solid how many constellation. constellations? Maybe. Oh, when they say constellation, they don't mean constellation. This is back to series one, solar system universe. When they say constellation, they're talking actually about a sun, and this sun is so big that it's like galaxy sized. <laughs> And it's oh, gonna, okay. I, it's 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 a it's a super duper uber blooper red giant. I wish we had learned how far away Alpha was from Earth, because surely they must know, right? And and yeah. Well, I mean, and how did at, they find them? Well, I know. Well, hey, lucky. <laughs> they kind of saw. Well, they saw which way the moon was going when it blew out of the Earth's orbit, and they just the took a lucky warp. shot at it. Yeah, the further it gets from Earth, right? The, the bigger the sphere of search has to be. Right. And when they're as far away as they are, which, which we know is a very long way, <laughs> that sphere is very, very big. That's, you know, it, it, it reminds me of the, the Hubble deep field mm-hmm. photos, you know, and, and I guess if you take one of the deep field, and if, if our listeners have not seen the Hubble deep field, photos they are oh it's a great great photos stunning they're stunning it's just a a picture of of thousands thousands of galaxies so far out thousands of galaxies that you're Mm -hmm. looking at and they say that to simulate the amount of the sky that you're looking at you would hold a postage stamp up at arm's length and that is the amount of space that you're looking at in that image Right. And if you think about how much distance you're covering in that deep field photo in a postage stamp, think of how many postage stamps you'd need to hold up. Oh, no kidding. To co- I mean, it's t- that they would ever find the moon after it's traveled through black holes and space warps, at least two space warps, because they mentioned traveling through a second right. space warp at the beginning of co- Series 2. That is correct. And we had the events of Collision Course, which put the moon somewhere else and so they're just that part is just equally as bad to me there is just no way i I, oh no that was that was like the you know my jaw is now hitting the floor kind of moment it was like that was the dumbest thing yet until they got to the constellation blocking it which i will agree is even even okay, dumber. yeah, 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 that's true, that's true, yeah. Um, which, you know, is a constellation is a a series of stars in the sky that happen to take on a um, an appearance from our particular vantage point. I mean, they're not even necessarily close to each other when you're looking at a quote-unquote constellation in the sky. Oh, it, it, it really was bad. And like I mentioned in my recap, it's going to block it for 100 years. Mm. Well, it's already been 120 years since Moonbase Alpha left. Right. So, and it's only been one or two years for them. So does that mean that Constellation will be out of the way in one or two years for Alpha? Mm. And Earth will be another hundred years more advanced and maybe they'll have figured out not to build sensitive equipment on earthquake zones. I mean, it's, uh, uh, it's not like, (laughs) don't hurt yourself. It's not like 
they're in Houston because it's got that it's got some beautiful natural resources around or the bay, you know, or the gulf or or their shipping lanes or anything like that. I mean, all our cities are where they are because of some I don't say freak of nature, but you know, something, some confluence of things that made that a place for people to collect. And now that the earth has been wiped bare, the only reason that they're there, presumably, is nostalgia. Right? Well, I mean, I would be inclined to think that they could actually go out among the stars and find themselves another place to live. Oh, yeah, they've got teleportation. Well, I'm thinking this was an experiment. Did you get that? From your, from, yeah, from, I think I, this I is like did, this yeah. is our only chance to find out if we can beam somebody because we need to have we need to have a teleportation terminal at both ends. And how are we going to get it there? And Alpha fits the bill, so I, I do get the impression that that was, uh, but they don't explicitly state it. But I I got that impression that this was not so much a rescue mission as it was a scientific experiment. But again, why not move Houston somewhere else if that's one of the few places that's going to get pulverized by earthquakes um let's uh uh, talk about tony's beer oh in no particular order on my notes (laughs) okay um well um uh hmm. the funny thing is is that it's not actually tony's beer that i mean that, that that's a stupid joke what bugs me out of that is it is used as a gimmick for us to realize that Maya really has great insights in in uh, old English literature. Well, they have that library we saw in uh, One Moment of Humanity. So presumably they have Julius Caesar, um, what was it, Othello, and, uh, and Dr. Jekyll, and, or Dr. Jekyll, and Mr. Hyde. So, I, uh, yeah, we're, we're old movies, because... That was kind of a, yeah. <laughs> um, and also, I mean, Alan and, is well. Pretty- I was gonna say, and the weird thing was, I remember when I saw that the first time because of all the things in this episode, that's the one thing I remember. Oh yeah, I, re- I, I distinctly remember Maya turning into uh, Mister Hyde, and I remember finding it as a teenager. I thought it was funny. Yes, but now watching, I thought, really. All right, Tony, it doesn't have any effect at all. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, again, Maya, playful. Yeah. Um, I like playful Maya. And you know, I have, but you know, it's I'm Catherine a- Shell, you know, and I, I, it's, it's, it's hard not to not enjoy it, but to, to look at it from a slightly analytical standpoint, it, I, I have a hard time with, her inter you know using her shape-shifting abilities just for the sake of some earth-related gag um i you know i in a way i don't because she clearly her father chided her on that true not, not on dr jack or mr hyde but no but know, but she back just in, used in the first it for episode, fun. right yeah right so how would you we all have our own sense of humor and to each their humor to their abilities 
Some people are sarcastically snippy, and some people have a great sense of slapstick, and some right. people have a terrible sense of slapstick, but they still try it. You know, there, there are all these things, and they're within your abilities. Like, if you're very animated physically, or you're just very sharp on the smarty cry. Maya has an ability we can't even understand. No, not really. And I, I think it's an interesting idea that you would use that to tell jokes. I'd use it to tell jokes. Oh, if I, I would had that too. Ability, I would totally use it to tell jokes. I would totally I'd use it, to tell use it jokes. for practical jokes instead. Absolutely. I, I have no problem with that. My problem is that she has such an enormous understanding of all things Earth. Mm-hmm. I, could be. I, I mean, yeah, there, there's, there's that. But obviously the joke doesn't work if Tony doesn't get the reference. So she she couldn't do a bit of Psychon literature. So, you know, she seems smart. She probably reads. She's probably oh, been through the entire library. Yeah. I, or I she know. just somehow knew it like she knew how to turn into a tiger. And, yeah, there's that. And, uh-huh. and given all of literature, now I'm going to put you on the spot. Given all the literature, what other jokes could you pull with... An elixir that someone has created. It does kind of fit. You know, Tony is is a mad scientist in a laboratory making this. Well, this you could have gone for you could you could have gone for the the Disney the Disney gag and have her turn into an old hag. Yes, there's that. Yes, there's, there's a few. I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's the only. But one, yes, but I mean the the most obvious is Mr. Hyde. I I. I do admit that. I also have no problem with Tony trying to make beer. And I don't like... No, I don't have a problem with that either, actually. You know, I, I mean, I've known you're, people you're... who make beer in their bathtubs because... Oh, yeah. I don't know why. But <laughs> but they do. But they do. Because they can. Yes. You know, and here they are. They're, they're on the moon. They're trying to make the best out of their situation. And we've seen that before where they're trying to... You know, in the beginning, it was it was all about survival now it's less about survival and more about living living you know i, so be I don't have if, i don't have a problem with tony trying to make if, uh, alan doesn't have a uh a, a cricket um a cricket team or or uh, maybe australian rules football going on somewhere down in maybe the oh, eagle hangers well or i was gonna say mad cricket on the moon that could be a hoot <laughs> um <laughs> As long as they don't put a window out with one of the balls on a on a mm. boundary, but <laughs> well, make sure you do it way out of the gravitational Ooh, zone. So, well, I was thinking they'd be inside, but uh, mm. they've got those massive eagle hangers. That is true, which we will see more of later you, on. You in could this be series. playing soccer in there, or football. Oh yeah, there's a lot you can do. There's plenty of room down there. So, just yeah. just raise all the eagles up to the top, and you got it. Yeah. You've got a big space. Yeah, and it's already filled with air. <laughs> convenient convenient isn't it yeah um i also liked alan's uh picking of his tongue at one point during the course of this episode uh, right did you see that where he's he's tried to yeah he's like just picking the fur or whatever it is off of his tongue from the the beer but uh uh and he makes that silly is it it's one of the marx brothers obviously i think it's supposed to be groucho but it, it, oh no! He's just gone back to the drawing board. Uh, oh, 
that was a little forced. Anyway, okay. Um, I also would point out that Tony seems to be completely and utterly missing all of the signals that Maya is sending him. Is he missing them, or is he just being deliberately obtuse about it? I uh, don't know. <laughs> well, because uh, um, you kind of got the feeling... Uh, in past episodes, there are so many indicators that he's really kind of on the mark about it, but then I know there's an episode coming up where he where he will have this sudden realization, oh, she really likes me. And you're like, duh. <laughs> I know she's she's like throwing him signals like mad. She turned into Mister Hyde for you, guy. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, wow, that says love, really. Yeah, it's not prejudice; it's fascination, as he says. Mm-hmm. Fascination. What does that mean? You're prejudice, Tony. I'm not prejudice. What is it? I'm. It's fascination. Does that mean you are you're telling her you obsess over her? I I, he, I, I, I don't know what line. that's supposed to mean. It, it just just fascinated the fact that she's an alien. Then that's that's hmm, slightly racist. Now here's a question that I could not find an answer to on Google University. If you lived on the germ-free environment of Alpha for a couple of years, do you lose your resistance to diseases? Um, I think it would have to be longer than that, but I do. Uh, I have heard that um, th- that said before that uh, completely removing yourself or keeping yourself in some sort of a sterile situation is damaging to one's own immune system. I mean, I know people that are using, you know, um, hand sanitizers and Purell. They do it all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like almost like a phobia, and they now do have some kind of a health issue because of doing that. Uh, they now don't quite have the resistance, hmm. the natural body resistance I, to I to, could uh, not to, find to anything bacteria. completely authoritative uh, or even remotely authoritative. I, lots of people well, saying I, things like that, but, you know, I couldn't well, find Well, I've heard doctors, was- I, I've heard medical doctors um, actually say uh, regarding this subject um, uh, that like if 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 you have to use the restroom, you know, don't feel the need to use some sort of a sanitizer to wash your hands. Just use warm water and soap. But see, the the the, the reason that sanitizers are being banned is because they're creating superbugs. Superbugs. That so is that's, true. That's the. That's opposite. a little different. Yeah. That's. Uh, but so, for example, you get chicken pox as a kid, and you build up an immunity whole, to it. Apart from this whole thing with shingles, you don't get chicken pox again. Right? Normally, no. I mean, that is right. that is the. Three. General so, rule, yeah. If I got chicken pox as a kid, and then I went and lived on Moonbase Alpha for three years, you're and not going to get it again. I'm not going to get it again because my body has learned that immune response to it. And that is true. That that is absolutely tr- you. That that you're correct. Actually, that is true. You might have a weakened immune system for bugs that you've never, never caught encountered. before, but for things that uh, you have. Uh, encounter before the body remembers that that i remember that in my uh in, in all my biology classes when studying the immune system that there are certain uh, that that's why certain uh uh vaccines have been so effective like like the polio vaccine or the smallpox vaccine and, you know once these very e- either dead viruses or ter- ter- terribly weakened viruses were entered into the system 
the body was able to create the appropriate antibody to it, and then should there be a full-blown infection, the the body could it. then – No, the, the, the antibodies were – you know, the, the blueprint to make that is already there at this point. Right. So, yeah, that is true. I, I'm just – but, you know, not everything is – polio or chicken pox and the common cold they don't have a vaccine for so you know but there are so many variations of it it mutates so quickly would not having been exposed to a cold for a while make the next one worse i don't know i, I genuinely don't know i'm not i'm not arguing well, with it well, i just be, think well, that helena coming down with it in about two and a half hours seemed highly suspect well because it, it's it, helena you can't you can't come down with a cold that fast. I don't think. I mean, that part bugged me. I mean, overnight maybe she wakes up the next morning, but heck, she's sneezing within an hour of them um, arriving on the planet. It's like, yeah. oh, I think it's I think it's pneumonia, John. All right, <laughs> I look like a monster. Well, yeah. stop using the damn Botox. Yeah. Um. Let's see. <clears throat> I like that uh, when they saw that there was water and that there were trees and there were animals that they jumped to the conclusion there's probably some intelligent life on this planet, too. Why? Just because. Just, just because. Fine. Um, did you notice? I mean, I realize that the state of computers has advanced a lot since 1975 when they made this. But did it seem suspect to you that for them to run a computer simulation to figure out what happened they had to actually make an actual earthquake Mm. which presumably if it was the same earthquake if they had to recreate the earthquake exactly then they would damage or kill the same number of people and equipment all over again in New Houston or Houston City or Spaceport Houston or whatever the heck the name of it Planet was. Planet Houston, who knows? And that's a quote-unquote computer simulation. Oh, scary. <clears throat> that, that, that one made me laugh. And of course they can't detonate it themselves, so Maya gets to do it from the moon. Hey, something. those neutrino transmissions, what a great thing. I'm glad they invented them. I hope Alpha kept the technology for that. <clears throat> I, I hope Alpha kept the technology for the teleporter so that they could set one of those up on a planet somewhere. Oh. Oh. Uh-oh. Think about that. The moon's passing a planet too quickly. We drop one of those teleport capsules down on it. And we have no time limit for exploring the planet and mm. doing the exodus. Mm. You know, oh, we're not- only in range of that planet for three hours. Alan, fly this capsule down to that planet and leave it. Okay. Don't, don't. Yeah, because if it can teleport across such distances as we've seen in this episode, then uh, however far away the moon flies away from this Wish planet is no instructions for both sides yeah it's it's just it's not an issue yeah hmm. just make sure you don't do it near a fault 
Um, should we talk about Maya's reluctance to go back to Earth? Oh, not the first time we're going to see that. But <laughs> not yes, the last, yeah. No, not the first time, not the last. You know, but I, I, to be honest, I'm kind of glad that we're seeing this because this is, um, if I'm correct, this is not the first time we've seen it, is it? Um, or or am I just remembering things out of order because I I know where her head is at in all of this. I think this is the first time because this is the first time that we're talking about a return to Earth. Everywhere else, they're talking about an exodus to a planet where they're just the Alphans going. Not that they're really talking about that much. I, I don't remember. I don't remember her having, um, you know, apart from in Metamorph, any kind of um, "I'm not human" moment. Hmm. But I know it's coming again. Oh yeah. Abs absolutely, and to be honest, that's actually something I kind of like, only because it does breed a sense of continuity. And I understand it. I mean, yeah, she's, well, yeah. I mean, she, she's it's come it's aboard a, the Alphans, and they've become family, right? And it's and it's also serves as something of a reminder how she doesn't have a home anymore. You know, aside from Alpha, I mean, Psycon right. is gone. And if they go to Earth, then they'll all go their separate ways, and she'll be alone. Mm. Assuming that she can't finally get the signal to Tony. Uh, <laughs> who it turns out Tony is certified. Oh, no, 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 no. Alien. No, absolutely not. No. I've got <laughs> a wife back on Earth. <laughs> or something. Who knows? No, no. Anyway. Um... We talked a little bit about everybody saying, eh, who needs nature? There were two <gasps> people. There were two people on Alpha that showed any response to that, like, that sounds like it sucks. And that was Maya and Koenig. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is like, eh, okay, okay, okay eh, sure, well, we can go. I, who needs nature anyway? Which, you know, Maya, I get it. I'm you know, Koenig, but, I get it. Oh, I, but I like, don't get it. I don't get anybody actually just glossing over that and going, "Yeah, all right, whatever." But I mean, well, one of the things that really bug me is when we're when everybody in Alpha in uh, in the command center they're they're looking at this transmission of New Houston or whatever it's called, and everybody's kind of like ooing and awing. Now, now, granted, this is a post production effect, so it's very possible that. The actors you know, had absolutely no idea what the heck they were going to be looking at. But for the sake of the story, you see them staring at this, and Helena is like, oh, it's so beautiful. And I kept looking at this thing, and I'm like, it's no, it's like fantastic. Yeah. I'm like, no, okay, fantastic, maybe, but wondrous, you know, like, like you're kind of implying, no. Mm-mm. It looks awful. Yeah. I mean, I mean it looks like one gigantic freaking refinery. Yes, well, Houston. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, let's see. I just want to point out that the computer screens, like the uh, uh, telemetry monitors uh, and a couple of other things we see, are videos of real-world objects. Did you notice that? I so didn't. In, instead of a computer graphic of a 
bar chart showing heart rate and respiration or whatever, you know, the three lined charts, those were actually what I'm guessing is something that the props department made up that was like a panel with lights in it. Oh, that I did see, yeah. And then they recorded that and played it over the computer screen. Right. I did see that, yeah. I guess if we were supposed to be remote monitoring a panel somewhere else in Alpha, but I don't think that's what it was meant to be. I think that was meant to be their their version of a computer screen. Mm. Circa 1975. Again, what what could they do? Even look at um, uh, Battlestar Galactic in 1978, maybe? They had the most advanced computer graphics they could get, which are those right. Vectron displays, right, if I'm right. not mistaken. And they looked pretty cool, but, you know, millions of dollars of U.S. Uh, Hollywood budgeted stuff to do that. Um, not, not in evidence here. And, you know, no such thing as a computer screen in Star Trek. Mm. Really. Really. That's true. The, the, Every time we saw, the only time we ever saw anything was when they were looking at a book, and that looked like a microfiche. Yes, it did. There was, there would be a, a, maybe a photograph, or there would be a video picture of somebody, or there'd be a microfiche of a book. But we never saw anything that, you know, gave the appearance of computer graphics, what we'd call them. So this is, this is the earliest representation I can think of, of, of a show where they tried to do something like that. You know, I can't blame them for for trying something different. No, but it was it no, was, especially it when I mean they had now. they had no idea what they were working with either. So yeah, um, I, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I look back on it now, and it was okay. Yeah, it was kind of laughable, but hey. All right, um, an interesting one is that uh, Helena spots that fungus. Mm-hmm. It just happens to be the fungus that can be turned into. A cure for pneumonia, because in 1999, there are no cures for pneumonia. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm not mistaken, obviously, pneumonia is nothing to laugh at. We do no, have it's antivirals not. now, correct? Well, if we're talking viral pneumonia, yeah, you're right. That is nothing to laugh at. I mean, there's, there's bacterial, which is... Um, but we do have antiviral drugs now. Yeah, we do. We do. And they, I'm pretty sure they had them in 1999. So they missed the mark on that one by a long way. I, I, I kind of feel like, because we were just beginning to discover how to... Uh, uh, but I'm, I can't remember about 1975 when this was made. I don't... You know, we had antibiotics. Oh, yeah. I don't know if we had anti, antiviral... Uh, treatments back then like, like that. We seriously should have done more medical research for this episode. There is a reason they took a doctor along. <laughs> hmm. It's a good thing they took a doctor. Who knew they'd need a doctor to cure somebody in Scotland in 13 whenever, which I'm gonna um, well, first off, let's just you mentioned that I'm a monster line and why? Oh god, no going to step back from that Mm -hmm. have apart from Koenig being enormously jealous and Koenig and Russell have clearly shown signs that they're let's call it dating 
I'm not sure what the word is for it. There, there, there's sort of a playful sexual interplay going on there with them. Have we seen him kiss her before? Or at least seen him kiss her in such a passionate way? Because I kind of can't remember it. There's always been it a is sort so of coyness hard. to it. Yeah, it, it is so hard for me to tell because I already have this understanding about the nature of, of their relationship. I mean, in, in fact, watching it again, as we have during this run, I was actually kind of surprised at discovering that there was uh, a... There was a sort of testiness between the two of them, especially on Helena's part. I, I didn't remember any of that. What I do remember are the fact that they were pretty much a couple. Oh, wait. There is the Maya bit with the kissing thing. Oh, yeah. There that's, was that one. I've yes, forgotten that one. But yeah. that's that's the odd but one the, out. Yeah, that is that is the odd one out. And I think we mentioned it at the time. It's like that implies Koenig has been kissing Dr. Russell and would know the difference. But we've not really seen that. We've seen them holding each other and staring at each other longingly. And, and there's that scene in The Exiles where, you know, they're running at each other at full speed because they never thought they were going to see each other again. And then when they get close to each other, they slow down and they play it cool. Hey, there you go, John. Good to see you again. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I don't know where they are. Are they going back to John's cabin every night and doing the dirty deed? Or are they still, you know, at, at that sort of, that's not where we are as a couple kind of thing? I don't, I can't tell with them. And when he just turns around and she's sick and dying and it's like, and he decides, this is the time I'm going to share germs with her. Hmm. It, it it mystifies me. It was like, okay, I was not, I was not expecting that at this moment, and I still don't know why he did it. Is it just because, yeah, you're dying, but I'd rather die with you? I, I don't know. I, again, the man does not think. Um, uh, <sighs> I got nothing on that. I, I can't figure their relationship out. I, I really can't figure their relationship out. Um, anywho, do we really think, do we really think that that was December 31st, 1339? Oh, in Scotland? Hell no. That's my thought. I mean, what, what is the, the, the guy is sitting there saying, when that candle runs out, it'll be the 1st of January. Like, okay, so it's December 31st. How accurately could people tell time in the 1330s? I mean, not really. You know, I, I assume that they have a general idea of what the date is. Well, there like, was it's January. The, yeah, <laughs> I mean, they, they they did have a type of calendar, but that sounded a little bit too precise. It did. It was very precise. And then when he said it was, uh, what was it, Bannockburn plus. Uh, I can't remember what the, the, the number was, but um, 25 years. Bannockburn plus 25 years. Right. Is that 25 years today? Or, or, or 25 years when that calendar runs out and that candle runs out in a couple of hours? Makes a big difference. Is this it 1339 can. or is that 1340? 
I mean, there's a, there's a whole year's difference there because I, I, on December 31st, as we're approaching New Year's Eve, I'm not sure which I'd use. I don't, I don't know that I would, I would go, it was exactly 10 years ago, whether I meant this year or the year that's just on us. And, you know, did he really measure the 25 years accurately? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But for them to use that to then program in the device, and that's Scotland. I mean, it's not as big as the amount of space that they had to comb to find Moonbase Alpha, but now we're looking back in time. How, how accurate did their physical location have to be? Yeah, that's a good question. Apparently it didn't. Did they figure that out from the computer simulation? Because I don't think so. Because Maya said, well, we, they're back in time. We figured out they're back in time. They're on Earth somewhere, back in time. And Scotland, 1339, is still a big... And they, I don't... Did he send it? was December 31st, thir- 1339? I thought just, he did. He might have. So, I okay, thought he did. He narrowed it to a day. I guess, I guess if you had... Maybe they couldn't figure out where and when they were, but if they knew one, they could figure out the other. Hmm. But, and then, we throw the Harlan Ellison in there. I remember this very clearly from... Uh, so, uh, our British listeners, and perhaps other overseas locations, may not recall, or they may recall, that Target Books put out a crap ton of Doctor Who books in the old days, right? Right. Ten of those books were republished in the United States um, with different I covers. remember that. Yeah, I've got them all sitting on my bookshelf even now. And... There were some changes made to them. English mm-hmm. spellings were redone. Right. Uh, a couple of other things. And every last one of them had an introduction by Harlan Ellison. I remember uh, some of those. Yeah. And the introduction to Harlan Ellison was a gushing review of Doctor Who. Oh, how God, he, yeah. How he uh, he, oh, Who. He, he raved about it. I remember he, in fact, <laughs> I remember he actually said that, uh, that Star Trek, uh, uh, how do you put it? Um, he compared Star Trek to Bat Guano. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. But but the thing that that, one, he, that one's stuck in my brain. The part that's stuck in my brain was that he said Doctor Who overcame one of the things that bothers him in science fiction, in time travel stories. If you are standing in New York and you go back in time a hundred years, you are not standing in New York anymore. The Earth is not there, right? If you're not traveling oh, in space, yeah. the TARDIS is obviously designed to compensate for that. Exactly. So he was pointing that out. But here we have this. How the heck did they hit Earth in 1339? Well, maybe it was in that precise point of space-time. Uh, so that's why they ended up there. I think think it's either that or maybe they bounced off a constellation that had moved between the two in that time frame <laughs> that could have been it too because who knows how many constellations have moved between earth and the moon's position in the seven eight hundred years oh god how many are still there yeah uh anyway um 
Let's see. I don't know that I have anything else. Oh, yes, I do. I have one other thing. Helena, at the end of the episode, says something like, what are the, you know, what bad luck that we go back to Earth and we end up in 1339 Scotland. You know, of all the, of all the history we could have landed on, you know, why, why did it there? Which, you know, fair enough. But Koenig's response was, yeah, it could have been the storming of the Bastille or World War Three, or, or the, the, the Black Death or, I mean, he names off these terrible, terrible periods of time in history. And Helena's response is, yeah, with history like that, who wants to go back to Earth anyway? Ah, ha, ha, ha. Wow, Koenig, what a pessimistic SOB you are. Mm-hmm. There's also, what if you'd, okay, what if you'd arrived in 19, what if you had arrived in World War II? You know something? I'd stay. It's Earth. It's Earth. <laughs> it's like, great, all right, World War II, fine. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm good with this. I'm good with it. If Scotland, if it hadn't been for their getting ill, I mean, if they'd hit Scotland a hundred years later, this might not have been a problem. In That's fact, true. would they have, well, they would never have been able to communicate their location. But what if Maya had worked out their location and they had returned them? And they were like, well, we hit 1975 London. We were having a swing in time, all the LSD we could drop and stuff. And you brought us back? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I, I really think that there's so much, there's so much of time that they could have landed on Earth and they would have been perfectly fine. And the fact that Koenig just throws up this sort of, yeah, it would have been crappy no matter where we went. Well, th- th- this is Koenig who, oh, for like the life of me, twenty was wonderful. Yeah, you know, and the weird thing about Koenig, I mean, you were talking uh, a little earlier about how you just cannot seem to figure out. The relationship between Koenig and and Doctor Russell, uh, I'll go so far as to say I just can't figure out Koenig. I mean, I've been watching him. We've seen seen him in all in season one so far. We've seen him in what four, five episodes now uh, of series two, and I still don't get him. I don't either. We're supposed I mean, I to look up to him. He's supposed to be a great guy. Oh, BS. But, I, I can't. That's I can't what they're figure portraying him, out. him as. It's well, like it's John well, Koenig stands head and shoulders above anybody else on Moonbase Alpha with his. Well, they're not doing a good job yeah. because that's not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing conflict. I'm seeing contradiction. I'm seeing a character who I cannot really understand, and therefore he's he's forever an enigma to me, and which makes his relationships with other people rather enigmatic. Well, and it's also that he's not consistent. Um, well, that doesn't I, help either. I, I'm I'm not a person that that generally subscribes to the um, uh, more modern idea that many of your heroes can be flawed and unpleasant, despicable people. Um, I, I there's, there's lots of programs that do that, and I you know I'll, I'll pick on the remake of Battlestar Galactica. There was not a single person on that show that I didn't openly detest <laughs> you know it just i didn't like any character there was no one there i wanted the cylons to kill them all oh agreed like, you know just 
just wipe them out. Oh, um, they were awful. They were anything, terrible people. Yeah. Anything that, that was interesting about Battlestar Galactic, the remake, had to do entirely with the, the notion that the Cylons had invented their own religion. Yeah. That was, that was an interesting concept to potentially explore, Yeah, I mean, there were, but, there, were, there were big story ideas there that I really enjoyed, but the characters themselves, there was not one likable individual in the how, lot. However, I can like the character of Avon, who is not a particularly nice guy. So, I mean, there's, there's something, you, you can do it, but you can't do it, and I, I don't know what the flavor is. I think Koenig is supposed to be He's not supposed to be Captain Kirk. He's supposed to be just as great a guy as Captain Kirk, but not Captain Kirk. And not not a parrot of him. And so they've given him these other characteristics, but then they don't give him the same characteristics from episode to episode. But it's just sort of like he's not Captain Kirk. I think that's what they were going for. He's got to be a great guy, but he's not Captain Kirk. I would be much happier if he was a more flawed individual rising to the challenge right. of running the moon base. But that's not what we see. But no, well, that's not what, what we get. Yeah, we're told that he's like, wow, John, <laughs> you're so wonderful. Ugh. But we don't see that. We just, we're, we're told that time and time again. Oh, uh, two words. Computer telecopier. The little cubes that they were holding hmm. in 2120. They were computer telecopiers. Just Isn't that a fax machine? Hmm. Telecopier is a fax machine. Of course, they probably didn't know that in 1975. But anyway. No. <clears throat> Have we got anything I else? got. I got... Oh, I I really don't have anything else on this. Um, I thought it was just terribly silly. The one thing that was peculiar, though, the the people on uh, on uh, planet Houston, I uh, they I was having a very hard time actually accepting the fact that they were who they said they were. You mean and I don't know humans? Well, humans from Earth with the intention of actually trying to bring. Some Alphans home. I mean, everything about it just stunk of ulterior motive, and yet there didn't appear to be one. Like I said, I think the ulterior motive, if you want to go for it, is that they were using the Alphans as guinea pigs. It was an opportunistic. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I can see that. Yeah, because um, the the lead guy, Freddie Jones, or whoever he plays, he has some really bizarre line about them getting out of their labyrinth prison. So did, maybe did you know that Freddie Jones is the name of of Freddie on Scooby Doo. For, no, Fred? No, I didn't know no. that. Freddie Freddie Jones. Fred Jones. Yeah. All right. Anyway, that's probably why that name throws me off every time I ah. Hear it. It's like eh. yeah, the the one who likes traps and it's not very bright. All right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree that their their motivation seemed like why did they. Why do they care? I think it. I think it really was just that they were intended to. They were using Alphans as guinea pigs. Um, mm. But I suppose in that respect it makes sense, especially if that if they viewed it as a means for them to get out of where they're at. But where are they going to go? To another planet? Well, so again, uh, taking into 
All right, my my earlier speculation is they didn't teach Alpha how to make the main complex. So, okay, maybe that's not going to solve Alpha's problems. But they did teach him how to make the receiving terminal, which didn't seem very big. So you could put the receiving terminal in a very small um, spaceship with drive. And yes, it might take hundreds of years to get to the nearest planet, but you don't have to send a generation ship. So once you have that technology, you can start sending those out to candidate solar systems. And then someone could beam in, check it out, you know, be wearing a spacesuit, whatever, pop in, look around. Who knows? Maybe you just arrive in the solar system. They pop in, run the readings, pop back out, send the ship down, pop in. So, I mean, it, it, it does, it does present up. Uh, an an idea for how to get off the planet or to do uh, interstellar exploration, you still have to find a way to test it. And here's just 311 guinea pigs waiting to be rescued. Sure, let's rescue them while we're at it. But if we yeah. if it works, you know, <clears throat> I mean, apart from the galactic eclipse, ugh. oh. That hurts so bad. I, I that hurts so bad because you know here we have another perfect solution to Alpha's problem. That's that's kind of yeah. Mm. I'm with you on that. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> I think that's it. I got nothing else. Okay, well let's see. That's all I got here. Next time, next time it's the Tabor. Oh, my word. I know. You remember that one, don't you? Uh, vaguely. Enough to know. Enough to remember. Enough that to remember. It, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, we're looking forward to that one. Mm. Listeners. <laughs> well, Ben, thank you for joining me. Oh, a joy. And listeners, I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Cheers. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf.